welcome back to another Subconscious Mind Mastery episode. Thomas Miller coming back to you here with something that we're going to play with. A while ago, I put on here that if you would like to have the Kundalini morning exercise routine that I've been using to email me and I would send it to you, that offer still stands, thomas at subconsciousmindmastery.com. And what I'll send you is not only the PDF of the routine, but also a link to a video of Hemet Singh that we shot in New Mexico of just some simple yoga kundalini exercises. Kundalini, by the way, is a particular type of yoga, and we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But I'll also send you a link to a Spotify playlist that I'm putting together of music to use while you're doing the routine. Total package, yeah? All free. So just email me, thomas at subconsciousmindmastery.com, and I'll shoot that out to you. But I thought, since the response was quite favorable, that you guys might like to hear more. So we're going to bring Hemet back in and talk to him about some areas around Kundalini. And I thought the best place to start would be, why does it touch our soul so deeply like it does? I think the reason Kundalini Yoga has, has such a powerful experience is that it really taps into the energy of the body and works on creating these different effects. And some of this is just very, you know, pragmatic. You know, you work on an exercise that's going to stimulate your pituitary gland, and that begins to secrete biochemicals and hormones into your bloodstream. And so you change your blood chemistry, and all of a sudden you're feeling different. And then on the, on the sort of the same subject, uh, we're using these exercises and energy to strengthen our nervous system so we can have this stability of body and mind. So when we uh, exercise or meditate, we're having that strength. And it's not just muscle strength. This is nerve strength, which gives you great capacity to hold the posture or hold the exercise and, again, meditate. You know, when we start anything, I know there was your very first yoga session, right? And then whenever we start anything, it's so new and we think, oh gosh, him, it's been doing this for almost 30 years and he must have this down so much. And, you know, this process, it's always a journey, but how do we, like, sometimes we, uh, it's hard to move. It's hard to sit cross-legged. It's hard to sit on our knees. These technical points that we can't do, how do we handle that? Well, we do the best we can what we are in our current ability. Let's say, for example, we're doing an exercise where we're sitting cross-legged on the floor. It's okay to sit on a bolster or a fold-up blanket to get your hips a little higher than your ankles so you can be more comfortable. Or you just do it in a chair. I mean, one of the things that's beautiful about you know, this type of yoga is that you can adapt. And if you just can't do it, whether it's in a chair or sitting, you can just visualize in your mind what the exercise is doing. And visualize yourself doing it, and energy flows where your attention goes. So if you have some physical challenges that you cannot do something, just do it in your mind for that exercise. And then the next one you may have a little bit more ability to do because it would be different. Because each, each kriya, each set of exercises there is a sequence, and we want to keep that sequence very pure, hold that integrity. But if you come along one that's you know maybe number five in the sequence, you go, I just can't. Just, let's say you're sitting on your heels. For a lot of people, they they got you know stiff knees, bad ankles, and that's just not going to happen. You can do that sitting cross-legged. 
the ideal is that you can, but if you can't, do the best you can. So one of the other questions then is why does this affect us up and down the spinal area? The focus is obviously on the spine. Why? The spine is the column of ourselves. It is the central nervous system. That is the spinal fluid. That is the nectar of our nervous system. And most importantly, in the reference of yoga, it's the central channel of how the energy moves from the base of your spine, your sacrum, your tailbone, up the spine. And this is the whole point of any yoga practice, whether you're practicing a Hatha tradition or a Kundalini or even a Yin, you want your spine to open up so the energy can move up the spine into your head. And that is the experience we're all striving towards, is the Kundalini energy of the sacrum rising up the spine. So that's why you put so much emphasis on getting the spine to open up, which is going to help you in you know, having a healthy, flexible spine. Yogi Bhajan, who, my spiritual teacher who brought this tradition to the United States, in 1968, said we're not, we don't age. We only measure our age by the flexibility and vitality of our spine. So you may be, you know, in your mid-40s and you're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, my spine's getting stiff. That makes you into your 50s or 60s. So that's one of the things that gives you a great heads up and a head start on holding and defying aging is having a flexible, open spine. Okay, then like with Majana, what do we do if we've had a lower spine injury? Maybe somebody's had spinal fusion surgery or disc problem, or I was talking to another person just the other day who had a decompressed disc down in the lower back. What about that? This would give them great benefit because we're moving the spine. They need to be aware of when they're doing some of these very simple moves, how it's going to affect their spine. And if it doesn't feel right, Obviously, don't do it. But for someone who has those challenges, those restrictions, work with it. It's going to help. Um, in Majana's case, let's say, for example, the first uh, exercise of this Kriya for Morning Sunday, it's cat-cow, which is a fantastic exercise for the overall flexibility and vitality of your spine. She may not get the full range of motion that she would like to have. Again, she can use the visualization. The energy flows where her attention will go and she will get the effect that is necessary. And obviously, just to throw the disclaimer in there, uh, be sure to check with your physician or doctor attending to your spine if you have any further questions. Okay, what are you focusing on when you're doing the exercises? I'm a, like, I'm a self-described yoga geek, nerd. So <laughs> I like to focus on what is happening in my body as it is happening. There's an exercise where we're uh, on our hands and knees and we're kicking a leg back and bringing it back into our chest. I know that's good for the hips and opening up the meridians in the leg. So I will put uh, intention to that uh, energy flow to help facilitate it. And maybe time, this this is a rather moderately long Kriya, this Kriya for morning sadhana, so your mind is going to drift. But at the beginning of an exercise or an asana, which is a posture, set the intention of what it's going to do, and then you can just let your mind you know, move on from that. But I like to be aware of what's going on while it's happening. It expands your awareness 
of your body and the amazing technology this yoga produces. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it it has so opened up my awareness and consciousness when I'm doing these. Now, one of the other instructional things you often find is to focus on your third eye area, but yet with your eyes closed. What's going on with that? Oh, thanks, Tom. That's a great question. Your third eye is a uh, mystical point in our forehead. It relates to the sixth chakra. It's located just above the bridge of your nose, uh, about maybe half an inch above your eyebrow line, and it's the location of our pituitary gland. And with the eyes closed, you roll your eyes up to that point, which is, this is, uh, I find this fascinating. A chiropractor I know was saying when he was uh, in uh, school, they were working on cadavers to get, you know, part of his education. He rolled the eye up of the cadaver and saw the optic nerve from each eye, which is like your right eyeball, the optic nerves goes to your left brain. And the left eyeball, the optic nerve goes to your right. So they cross. At that point where they cross was directly underneath the pituitary gland. So when you close the eyes and roll them up, you're putting a little tug. You're extending and stretching those optic nerves, which makes it rise up and applies physical pressure to that pituitary gland. So that's the physical aspect of rolling your eyes up. The energetic aspect is you're directing this internal energy that we, which comes out the eyes. When we're viewing, our eyes are open, we're taking a lot of energy in from viewing, but we're also releasing a lot of energy from the eyes. So when the eyes are closed, you're focused up at your third eye point, you're directing that energy to your pituitary gland. The pituitary is the center of our intuition and awareness. So as I was saying before, you want to be aware of what's happening in your body and your mind during these exercises, focusing on your third eye gives you a really deep, deep experience of this. Well, a lot of people don't understand is yoga was not developed thousands and thousands of years ago to get flexible in the body. It wasn't to go into a hot room and exercise the detox. The whole yoga tradition, this mystical, amazing technology was developed so we can experience the divine essence of our soul within ourselves. So the whole practice is to be able to balance the body, the nervous system, the circulatory system, the glandular system, so we can sit and meditate. And if you're meditating on your third eye, it was going to give you that aha moment of peace, bliss, and awareness. And the awareness is I am a divine, unlimited, undying soul occupying this physical body for this this time in this world. What about music? What are your thoughts on music accompanying your routine? In the mornings when I wake up, ideally I'm getting up before the sun rises, which is the best time to do a practice, but uh, that depends on your life and your schedule. But I put on a CD Oh, you, you've recognized this artist. It was uh, Narendran Kaur. And it's a CD of her singing and chanting these mantras. And there are six of them. It takes about 55 minutes to finish this sequence. And I put that on. And I do my practice along with that. The science of this is sound creates a vibration. 
And that vibration is going to change the energy of your space, the environment you're working in, and also it's going to affect your consciousness. And these mantras are, I, I, I view them as like, like on your computer, you have passwords to get into different websites. These mantras are like the passwords to get into your higher levels of consciousness. These are words which have a very specific uh, meaning, but th that meaning was given to those vibrations by man or yogis. But it's the frequency that these sounds produce because we're, our bodies are, you know, we have this physical mass, but essentially we're just bodies of light, energy, which vibrates. And it's like a tuning fork that you put next to another tuning fork that's going to resonate and begin to vibrate that second tuning fork. This is how it works. And that's a really good question and point, Thomas, is that, you know, the music uh, is so important in the Kundalini Yoga practice. And I'm going to do a quick pivot here, but I've gone to other yoga classes where friends of mine were teaching and they're playing, you know, Grateful Dead, uh, the, the popular music at the time. It was actually a, one teacher in town. Now, this isn't a, a judgment on him, but he, his big thing was like, come to my class, we'll do this class with the Grateful Dead, which is okay. But, but I just think they're missing an opportunity. And if I really want to get really, you know, <laughs> judgmental about it, it's like, okay, well, I like the Grateful Dead as much as the next guy, but what state of consciousness were these wonderful musicians in when they produced this music? Whereas if you listen to uh, Kirtan, which is yogic chanting and singing, what state of consciousness are these performers in when they recorded these? And so anyway, that's my position on the best music to play while you're doing a yoga practice. Yeah, good point. I know you went through your dark night of the soul about 30 years ago, a little over, and this had such a profound impact on you. What was the trigger? What was the aha, oh, wow, that made it your lifestyle? Uh, that's, that's a good question, Thomas. I started first taking my uh, Kundalini Yoga classes, and uh, I was living in Washington, D.C. in 1990. And the first few classes, I really liked it. I'd been doing martial arts, uh, Taekwondo for a while. I was getting a little tired of that, ready to move on. And I've been meditating for a couple of years. When, as you referenced, I had a really tough period of my life and I started meditating. It was just meditation 101, just sit with your eyes closed and try to get your mind quiet, which I understand, learned later, is the hardest way to meditate. <laughs> So I would go in these classes, maybe the third or fourth class, uh, the teacher would say, okay, we're going to meditate. And I go, great. But I didn't like the first two classes or three that I had the meditation because we were chanting. We had a mantra and it was, my mind was too active trying to figure out what was going on. What, what am I saying? What does it mean? But whatever happened in this class, I got into this very deep, deep state. I remember the meditation very well. It was meditation to go into the deep state to accelerate your spiritual growth it had a mantra and some very specific body movements and holding the locks of the diaphragm in the neck and when i finished i was in this such a deep relaxed profound neutral mind i thought well i've done this a few times before in my other meditation but it didn't happen this fast so i realized how the technology of using sound and mantra can get you to that destination fast. 
So to answer your question, it was probably at third or fourth class where I had that aha moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I can really deeply, deeply meditate. And I found walking out of the ashram, which is just about four blocks from where I live. You walk past there, and I mean, the last time you were in D.C., this old brownstone on uh, Q Street. I remember walking home thinking, I sure feel a lot better now than I did my walk in there. So that gave me sort of the inspiration to continue to do it. The, the real aha moment was about nine months later uh, at this very large yoga gathering in New Mexico around this time of the summer solstice in June. At that time, there were maybe 700 people there were meditating together and this very special meditation that Yogi Bhajan was uh, leading us through. And it just all came together. Maybe because his presence or having 7,000 people chanting and meditating together, it just, that's when everything just completely opened up. Oh, actually, actually when my Kundalini rose and I had this experience of my spine warming up feeling this energy moving and it stopped at my heart, which is where <laughs> the biggest blockage and resistance was in my life that time, opened the heart and then moved up into the, the head where you just feel this immense feeling of peace and understanding. And it was just uh, profound. And when I go through other difficult times, I use that as my touchstone back there in New Mexico in June of 1991 on the second day of that meditation practice. Wow, that is amazingly cool. What you just described is the peace and the serenity and the inspiration of Kundalini Yoga. Thank you. That was beautiful. I had this one quick thing. That was a very, very powerful experience, and I never really had one like that level since. So I had a a session with one of Yogi Bhajan's most adept students. I said, why, why? I haven't been able to experience that since like, oh, and he goes, the analogy he used was, you're like a seed in the ground, in the dark. And this yoga is like water nurturing you and you're taking root, growing, and you burst out out of the soil as a young sprout and you're in the light. Well, as you grow and develop into a tree bearing fruit, going through the changes of the seasons, you're always in that light. So you may not have the Wahe Guru, Eureka, Nirvana moment. You've had it, and you don't need to repeat it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. All right, buddy, thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. I always enjoy visiting with you and sharing what we're talking about with your listeners. And if you would like that information, just email me, Thomas, at subconsciousmindmastery.com. All you need to put in the subject line is Kundalini, and I'll know what to do. We'll take it from there. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. It's a great exercise for the body and especially for the soul. Enjoy the journey. I'm Thomas Miller. Thanks for listening. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.